Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We always enjoy talking some hoops a couple times a month during the offseason and, of course, every week during the uh, college basketball season. Alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dortch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, going to visit with the head coach of one of the best mid-major programs in college basketball, and that is Belmont University's Casey Alexander. So look forward to uh, hearing our conversation with Casey coming up here shortly. Chris, what's going on, man? Well, you know, uh, we're getting toward the the end game of, of Blue Ribbon. Uh, as we speak, uh, I've just passed out of my computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I woke Chris up to do the podcast. Uh, no, uh, seriously, I, I uh, this is the stage where, you know, we're just – I love doing it and everything, but uh, this is the stage where – I'm I'm ready to be rid of it, and uh, it's also the stage where we have to be really careful. There are certain things that happen that we want to get in the book. Uh, unfortunately, uh, an example is uh, Auburn's Alan Flanagan uh, had a, had a procedure done on his Achilles, and you know they're a, they're a top twenty five team, so um, I'll have to go in there and and edit that. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. Some I've seen some uh, publications uh, that are already out on the newsstands. Yeah, and, and I mean, e- even as late as Blue Ribbon gets out, there there are things that can alter a, a, the, the fate of, a, of any team uh, at a moment's notice. And I always that's kind of what keeps me up at night that I'll miss something. But uh, but yeah, I I couldn't imagine coming out that early. Uh, we we've been doing it this way forever. In fact, somebody may want to know when the book's coming out. Uh, our date is uh, September 27th for our uh, the iPad digital version, and about two weeks after that for print. So uh, we're getting near the end. One thing you show me, and I, I think it's very cool, and I don't know uh, how much you want to reveal yet, or just let people see it when they get it. The cover for this year's Blue Ribbon. Now, uh, a lot of thought has gone into this, but it's going to feature Coach K in that this is his final season. It's been announced that he will retire after this season, and John Shire will take over the head coach of the uh, the Blue Devils program. But you're going to feature Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, on the uh, the cover of this year's Blue Ribbon. It's very neat. You did a great job with the design. I know you you had uh, some, some input and some help there, but uh, very, very cool cover for this year's edition of Blue Ribbon. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's just one of those things that that kind of came to me. I I, I was just thinking uh, it occurred to me that after he announced his retirement and, and that Coach Shire was taken over, I don't know. I, so, sometimes things occur to me in, in, in weird places. So, like, I was doing some laundry, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got to thinking – you know, maybe I should – Coach K is, and, and the Duke staff has always been supportive of Blue Ribbon. They they buy eight or nine copies every year. And I thought, you know, I should just send him one this year. And then I thought, you know what? I could do better than that. Let's let's put him on the cover. And I know there are people that, that are going to say, well, you know, we don't like him and Duke's got all these advantages and stuff. And But I don't know. I, I think that 
by a lot of metrics, uh, an argument could be made that, that he's the best coach in history. Most people will point to Coach Wooden, and I'm a huge fan of Coach Wooden. I quote him all the time uh, in my class and, and to, to a lot of people. Be quick, but don't hurry is my favorite one. Yeah. But um, but he did win 10 national titles, but in, in my estimation, it was easier in those days. You only had to win four games. There was no three-point goal. Uh, there wasn't nearly the emphasis placed on the college game. And he, his last title was in 75. And, you know, ESPN was still five or six years away. Yeah. And so was Blue Ribbon. I think we debuted about the same time. But the game has changed dramatically since then. ESPN, and, and I'm actually looking at a picture of Dickie V on my screen as I'm talking to you, uh, has had a huge impact on on uh, making the game more significant, the, the money uh, that CBS uh, uh, throws into the to televise the NCAA tournament, uh, the three-point goal, uh, more good teams, more good players, uh, better strength and conditioning. I could go on and on. Uh, I hate to compare errors usually, but I think that uh, Coach Wooden – might have had a tougher time winning 10 in this era. And I think Coach K could have won 10 in Coach Wooden's era. So yeah. there you have it. Um, I think you'll, fan or not, you'll appreciate the artistry of Travis Knight, who uh, designs Blue Ribbon's cover every year. He's a, a good dude, and he knows his way around Photoshop. Well, it looks great, and, and I think all the uh, the points you just made are, are definitely well taken and and well said. Uh, I, I would agree that it's, it's a much more difficult time to win a national championship now, and that you do have to win six very difficult games, typically to get it done. And that's not to take anything away from uh, what Coach Wooden did in his day, but uh, not at all. What Mike Shashevsky's done in his forty years at, at Duke is is pretty amazing, and. Uh, all, we'll, we'll hear everything under the sun about him and see lots of cool stuff, I'm sure, coming up uh, during this season over the next few months. But uh, I, I enjoyed uh, when you gave me a little glimpse, uh, a sneak preview of the cover. It was very cool to see. Yeah, Duke was pumped about it. I, I called uh, – uh, actually, Coach has his own SID, John Jackson. Yeah. And uh, he put me – in he liked it and put me in touch with their actual basketball SID, Mike DeGeorge. And, and we got on zoom and kind of talked it over. And then they showed me some images and over zoom. And I, I, I kind of picked the ones that I had as it is every year, I've got an image in, in my head of the cover Yeah, and Travis either gives me exactly what I want or gives me, 10 times what I wanted. <laughs> and this is one of those cases. Um, the, the, I like to say I picked out the right images, but man, he pieced them together like a jigsaw master. It's a collage of uh, certain scenes in, in coach K's uh, history. And of course you, you've got to put certain, I wanted a picture of him talking to John Shire uh, when John was a player and you know, we've, we've got a picture of uh, Jay Will on there and Coach and a couple of net-cutting deals. And so it's 
it's pretty cool. I I gotta say, it's it's one of my favorite all time blue ribbon covers. It's right right there with the best we've ever done. Um, as far as other things going on, you mentioned a moment ago the uh, injury to Auburn guard Alan Flanagan out for you know probably three months or so with that Achilles surgery. Averaged fourteen points, five rebounds, and two assists last season, and projected as a uh, top draft you know first round draft pick uh, in next year's draft. But you know when you talk about making changes in blue ribbon after getting uh, some news like that, do you go back and and have to change things as far as your, your projected top twenty five? Well, the good news about that is, is that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting to the, the point where I have to do it. I've been putting it off. I have not, uh, rated the top 25. I know the schools that are in it. In fact, we, we had to do a switcheroo when, when Memphis started signing five star recruits like every other day, uh, last month and, um, you know, at the time they, they were just outside the top 25. And then once they signed those two kids, Jalen Duran and uh, Imani Bates, I mean, you know, they vaulted way up there. So right. we, that means we had to take a team out. So we did that. And now we have our, our roster of, of top 25 teams, but I, I have to go through there. There is one school that I shall not name. Um, of a coach that we haven't been able to actually talk to yet. That was supposed to happen today. I, I hope it did. And uh, once that happens, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll sit and I'll read all the stories again. And then uh, I'll go to all my uh, key editors and, and also the writers of all those stories. I actually wrote three of them myself and then we'll figure it out. So, uh, that is a good question, though. I mean, had had we ranked them already, uh, that would have more than likely played somewhat of a part. Although they're saying he'll be back, I I, I don't know the extent of it. I haven't. Uh, I don't know that they've even released the extent of it. But yeah. when KD tore his Achilles, he was out for a year. Yeah, I mean that's that's the worst injury in in sports. I think. Yeah, you uh, kind of project that out. I mean, you're talking about around the first of the year, maybe the time uh, SEC play starts. So uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on uh, for that Auburn team and really as far as where they fit in in the SEC. Uh, Chris, we're, we're going to go to our guest now, and he's a guy that you and I have both known for years. He is uh, Belmont head basketball coach Casey Alexander. He's a great guy to talk with. He's done a terrific job taking over for the legendary Rick Bird at Belmont. Casey is going into his third season. The Bruins won the uh, the OVC championship, uh, won the tournament in his first season. Unfortunately, didn't get to uh, participate in the NCAA tournament because of uh, the COVID shutdown. And then this past year, they absolutely rolled through the entire season all the way to the very end until you got to the end of the regular season Then the OVC tournament. They were upset in the championship game. So you've had these two great seasons and about 50 wins, and uh, and unfortunately, for their program, no postseason uh, games to to put on the uh, the resume just yet. But Casey has another loaded team, as we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, a lot of veteran players and some some really good young players to go with them. But you know, sort of some of the unusual situations of guys who are fifth year seniors and are graduate uh, students and uh, working on MBAs and everything else. But it's a really fun conversation. Here is our visit with Belmont head basketball coach Casey Alexander. Casey, I. 
uh, I always write the, the Belmont story for Blue Ribbon and we have some great conversations and you invariably give me a story that, that I can, that I can use if not build the whole story around. But this year you told me that you had four guys that were getting their MBAs in your starting lineup. That has got to be unprecedented. I I haven't really, I'm going to admit, I haven't looked around too much, but I've never heard of four MBA candidates in one starting lineup. What does that say about, not only your program and your kids, but kind of the state of college basketball right now. Well, and, and to, to be even more clear, none of these are COVID comebacks. You know, everybody got the extra year from COVID and um, this is actually. Yeah, they could come back again, right? Yeah, they could actually come back for a sixth year. Um, and so, you know, we have a 26 and four team last year and with no seniors at all. And, um, and we do have four uh, in there getting their MBA, but we actually have five seniors that are all fifth year guys. They've all graduated. They're all in graduate school. The other one's just not in that program. So, um, you know, so naturally, you know, anytime you, you can toss out five fifth year seniors that have won a lot of games and and some really good players in that group. And, uh, and, and to answer your question even further though, I do think there are a lot of teams across the country that are older than normal, because of the COVID year. Um, so in a way, you know, in a way that hurt us because we were already going to be old. Uh, and now there are a lot of others out there that, that have the benefit of returning players. But it's a great problem to have. We're really excited about it. I, I've noticed I'm, – I'm sorry, Kevin. Uh, I've noticed in editing Blue Ribbon that you're exactly right. I mean, some, some of these schools have rosters of 20 kids, uh, and, and they've all got – now the lexicon has has had to add the, the word super senior to it, so uh, I guess in some ways you're right that takes away a little bit of your advantage. But I still like your team a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you got you look at guys like Nick Musinski and Grayson Murphy, and you know they, they've been there a long time. They they've won everything under the sun. I mean, do, do, is it interesting to try to figure out new ways to to use those guys that that, that can give you an advantage? Well, it is. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to go too deep into a bag of tricks. I think the formula yeah. we've had has worked pretty well, so we're not going to we're not going to reinvent ourselves. But um, you know, just the uniqueness of having you know elite level point guard play and post player play at the same time. You know, guys that are so accomplished. I mean, Musinski's you know on par to be a four time All Conference player, and then Murphy is. You know, if he has an average year, he'll he'll set a record in the OVC for all-time steals and assists. And so you you put those together with some other good players, and it gives us a real chance to have a good season. How do you mix in uh, the, the rest of these guys? You know, Chris was talking about that experience. You know, Luke Smith's been around. He's played a lot. Jacoby Wood and Ben Shepard. I mean, you got got so many options there with guys who played a lot of basketball. Yeah, and you know what I think – I think we're just going to have to let it play out. It's a really unique situation for me, and I thought a lot about it because, as you know, Kevin, we, we've always gone deep into the bench. I've always subbed mm-hmm. way more than probably most coaches would, um, whether players deserved it or not. And so, yeah. so it's not uncommon for us to, to play a lot of guys and use our depth. So, And on one hand, I think we have great depth and, and kind of a lot of players that can make an impact in a game. You know, On the other hand, we have those, those seniors that are clearly – our best players, you know, and so how do you balance, how do you balance depth and playing time, you know, but also having your, having the main guys out there more often. So 
we'll just see how it goes. You know, last year we had sure. a lot of big margins. We could play, you know, we could get everybody in games. Our schedule's pretty tough this go around, so we'll just mm-hmm. let it play out. Casey, I thought it was interesting when we talked back earlier in the summer, you, you've got all this uh, experience coming back and good players, but yet you signed a, an excellent class. Mm-hmm. And you said, wow, they're, they're good players, but we may not even need them. Did some of those guys end up impressing you as the summer went on and, and maybe find a place among all these veterans? Well, I, I do think we have two new guys, two freshmen, and they're both they're both high quality players, and they're going to have great careers at Belmont. You know, um, you know, like a lot of schools last year. I mean, we literally didn't meet those two guys until they moved on the campus this summer for summer school because of COVID and, and how recruiting was so much different last year. But they uh, they more than exceeded our expectations. Uh, Isaiah Walker, Will Richard are going to be really good players. And, and if we need them to play, they'll be ready to play. Um, you know, you, unfortunate for them, they're joining a team that returns whatever it is, 97, 98% of our scoring in our minutes. And so um, it'll be a tougher lineup to crack, but they'll, they'll be ready when their number's called. Casey Alexander is our guest. Uh, the, the schedule is out. Uh, in the tournament in Orlando, we were supposed to play down there last year. And, of course, COVID kind of took that away and you had to shuffle things around a little bit. But, man, that, that's some great competition. You'll play Drake first, uh, Bama or Iona in the second game, and a, and a great opponent, too, in the third matchup. Uh, well, what about being in that event? And really what it can do for your program, really, as far as the national profile? Yeah, we're excited about the opportunity to go back. I'm, I'm glad that it worked out like it did. We were, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't a case where we were automatically in this year's event just because last year's got yeah. canceled. But um, you know, I think they saw the strength of our team, and, and it was and it was enough of a prestigious event that we were more than willing to go if they were going to be able if they were going to offer the invitation. So, uh, it'd be a great way to spend Thanksgiving. You know, three high quality teams. I think we'll you know we'll end up with three ga- three quad one games down there. I, yeah. I feel certain, uh, and so uh, and then to do that on the national level, where you know where the whole world is watching because Thanksgiving week and everybody's sitting around being fat and happy with, with <laughs> yeah. we'll, 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 we'll have a chance to play in front of a lot of people on TV. So the, it's a great week. And then if you looked at the schedule too close, we play LSU on the way down there. Yeah. So that's four games in that week, all against really good teams. So we'll learn a lot about ourselves to say the least. Didn't Belmont play LSU like way back, way back when uh, in the early days of uh, yeah. NCAA first, division one. Yeah. One of our first seasons, it would have been, I'm going to say in the 98, 99 range, somewhere in there. Um, and we didn't win. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time since we've been down there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's doable. Uh, my alma mater, ETSU, um, went down there a couple of years ago. Uh, in the, actually, in the season that COVID took the tournament away and beat LSU pretty handily. So mm-hmm. definitely doable. How I noticed you've got a, a couple of decent home games Furman has, has obviously been good in the SOCON, and, and Chattanooga, I think, is going to be probably picked to win the SOCON. Uh, how difficult is it for you to to arrange home games? Nobody wants to come play. They're afraid of getting beaten. We all know how that goes sure. uh, w- with good programs at your level. Uh, how tough is it? Yeah, increasingly more and more difficult. It's never been easy. Uh, and this year was unlike any other. I mean, because 
uh, of all the, the reasons that you just mentioned, but also because um, we're, we're still, a lot of schools are dealing with COVID scheduling issues, you know, either replaying games that were lost last year or money's not the same, or at the very least, it's a convenient excuse for a lot of people not to play. Uh, we had a couple of games that we were supposed to play that aren't going to get played this year. And that was, that's how that worked out. So, you know, it's, um, I'm really pleased with how it turned out, but uh, I honestly didn't think we would get to the point where we could have those home games um, that you just mentioned, but I give those schools a lot of credit for being willing to play. And it's a four-year contract with Furman, so that'll be a great series for us. It's two very similar schools, and Furman's got a great program. And and for now, it's a two-year deal with Chattanooga, but hopefully we can continue. We'll both realize the benefit of playing each other so close uh, in proximity, and we can keep that going. How does the new building benefit your program? It looks awesome, a uh, facility for basketball and I think volleyball too, but it, man, it has the weight room and practice courts and offices and everything, and it, it just looks great, but uh, that, that, that's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's a phenomenal place, and um, you know anybody who's been to our campus knows that Belmont doesn't do things on the cheap. Everything's really first mm-hmm. class, and this building is no exception. I think you know, naturally it really helps us in recruiting, but you know, as the coach and leader of the program, what I'm most excited about is just – the quality of life and the quality of experience of the experience that our players get on a daily basis, you know, having, having access to the floor 24 seven and, and having something they can really be proud of and, and spend a lot of time working together. But, you know, even the auxiliary areas like, you know, their lounge and locker rooms and mm-hmm. things like that. It's, it's really a special place. Everybody that visits says, man, I saw this on social media, but I had no idea it was this nice. So, yeah. Um, so it's been really good and it, it'll be helpful. Casey, um, it's hard for anybody to say, and, and I hate to even ask you this, but with with the impending move of Oklahoma and Texas, it looks like we're in for another uh, domino effect of changes. I was just talking to somebody that talked to Mark Few, and he thinks that BYU is imminent to, to go to the Big 12. And what do you think happens down the line? I do you think they'll tamper with the the success of, of the NCAA tournament and, and just try to strip off to some power conference tournament? I really hope they don't because the fact that you or, you know, my alma mater when it beat uh, Arizona a, a, a few years back, uh, Chattanooga when it got into the Sweet 16, and many, many other examples, that's what makes the NCAA tournament to me. You don't think they'll tamper with that, do you? Gosh, I think they'd be foolish to do it. Uh, I mean, you never know. Uh, money talks. There's no doubt that whatever decision is is made is is strictly going to be a financial one. Um, although, when you're talking about the power fives, literally just the power <laughs> of it all, uh, you know, that, yeah. that some decisions as well. But uh, you know, the, the NCAA tournament and the model of success that March Madness has, and the and the financial windfall that we all enjoy from that, I, I just can't imagine that they're going to that they're going to mess with that anytime soon. Uh, there'll be a day where it looks different than what it does right now, but I, you know, I'm going to be shocked, disappointed, angry, surprised, yeah. you know, whatever you want to say, if, if they do much to the NCAA tournament, you know, in, in the near future. Well, Casey, we'll let you go. You probably have to get back to like handing out Chick-fil-A on campus or something like that, right? 
That's right, man. I'll tell you what, you hand out hundreds of Chick-fil-A sandwiches and you don't get to walk away with one. That's a, that's a tough, <laughs> that's, that's a tough view. That See, the, sacrificial right there. The, the, the first thing you got to do is like put one aside, you know, hide yeah. one for yourself and then don't worry about everybody else. Man, <laughs> great to talk hat. to you as always. Uh, re- really appreciate the time and all the best. Great to see you guys. Thanks. Enjoyed our time with Belmont head basketball coach Casey Alexander joining us here on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Now, Chris, I, I've known Casey for a long time. He was an assistant uh, for many years at Belmont. He went away uh, for a few years. He went to Stetson for a couple seasons to begin his uh, head coaching career after Belmont's fourth trip to the NCAA tournament in uh, 2011. We uh, we pulled back into the Curb Center. I remember looking up at those uh, four coaches uh, Rick Bird and Casey Alexander and Brian Ayers and Roger Edstrom, uh, who were the assistants at the time, and thinking, you know, I, I'm going to watch this scene because this is the last time I'll see those guys probably all work together in the same place because you kind of knew that, that Casey was going to get a head coaching job. And so, you know, when we pulled into the Curb Center and it was, you know, we'd flown all night to get back home and the sun was coming up. And I remember watching them and, and it's like when this bus door opens, it's going to be over for these guys who'd worked together for years and years, that, that same staff that core of guys have been together and uh and and it was it was it was the end uh for for those guys you know in that setting but it was neat to see Casey come back and now be the head coach at Belmont after several uh, really successful years at Lipscomb just down the street and uh Brian is still on his staff Roger's still over at Lipscomb and and you see coach Bird at Belmont games uh, on a very regular basis so um it, it's neat to see Casey get this opportunity and he's done a great job and and will continue to Another thing I know about Casey is is he is a prankster. At least he he has been all the time I've ever known so, him. So I'm told. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he, he's all the time like uh, hiding behind doors and jumping out and scaring people and stuff like that. And people have tried to get him back over the years with varying amounts uh, of success. But uh, he, he's he's a great guy. He's super funny and uh, love to talk baseball uh, with him too. He's a huge Chicago Cubs fan, so uh, we, we have a, a lot of back and forth with couple other buddies of ours, but uh, enjoyed our visit there with uh, Belmont head coach Casey Alexander. He's probably where he's going to stay, although, you know, th- this particular team, we, we were talking about top 25 a while ago. We thought long and hard about putting Belmont in there. And uh, at the end, you know, like I said, uh, a couple of teams did some late recruiting and, and kind of pushed Belmont out, but, but, they're right there. And I've had some con- uh, candid conversations with Casey about what it would take and, and what he envisions maybe becoming sort of a Gonzaga right. yeah. of the South type thing. And I think he thought a couple of years ago and in, in the, when the tournament was canceled because of the onset of the pandemic, I believe he thought that team was capable of, of getting to the sweet 16. I had a coach not long ago, uh, Tell me something I thought was really interesting about scheduling. We talked about that some with Casey, that a lot of programs did not like to play teams that did a lot of really complicated offensive stuff right off the bat early in the season. Uh, you know, a team like Belmont or a team like Davidson or, you know, you can name, we, we you know, kind of know those teams that they do a lot of really complicated stuff and have veteran players that you don't want to open up your season playing them because you, you might uh, – not get the result uh, anywhere close to what you're hoping for. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. I never really thought about it that way, but it makes all the sense in the world. And that's no, probably, no, you know, you're right. And, and those programs have a lot of trouble. We were talking about that with Casey. Those programs had a lot of, have a lot of trouble just trying to get teams to play them and especially to come to their place. It's almost impossible. 
Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And it's one of the reasons Tennessee's Rick Barnes, you know, you're allowed uh, by, by NCAA rule, you can either play two exhibitions or you can play two close scrimmages or you can play one of each. And the close scrimmages, it's kind of silly, but uh, coaches can't on the record talk about what went down and everything. But <laughs> yeah, it's Rick a super Barnes secret. Always, uh, he always figures out a way to play Davidson. Yeah. In a closed scrimmage. And, you know, one year they came to Chattanooga and played it there. I wish I could have snuck I was gonna in. Say, did you get the invite but, for uh, that one? I did not get the invite. And, but Rick Barnes unashamedly has told me that as he's gotten older, he's started to care more about the offense and he's basically ripped some stuff from Davidson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Part of it is uh, you'll see this year, I, I think, you know, Davidson likes to, to run and uh, Tennessee has the horses to run with Kennedy Chandler and a bunch of six, five, six, seven athlete type guys. Uh, it's a pretty deep team. And actually last week, Tennessee signed another point guard who's uh, – equally as quick and he's not as tall as Kennedy Chandler. So man, I, I don't think they've ever had the depth since I've covered the SEC that, that, that they're going to have at the point, but, but you're right. I, I, I think Belmont struggles anyway. Uh, I think Rick, Rick Bird told me once, and this is probably true of a lot of mid majors, but because uh, their soccer team, I think competes in the horizon. Uh, they've got a deal where, some Horizon League teams will play Belmont. Yep, that, that was true. And, and and that's helped somewhat. And I was glad when he told us in the interview that they've got long-term deals set up with, with a program like Furman. I, I know Bob Ritchie, the Furman coach, and we talk about it all the time. The first year he got the job, he said, I don't want to say that I steal from Rick Bird, but I kind of do. You know, so... <laughs> Furman's, you know, a good academic school and, and Bob Ritchie is, you know, Hey, that, that works. It's worked at a good academic school, at Belmont. And, and basically what he means is you recruit guys from winning programs, guys that were all state guys that won uh, state titles, shooters, high IQ kids, uh, the rest you can teach them. If, if, if they come with a jump shot and an understanding of the game, uh, Steve Forbes has told me this, the Wake Forest coach, I'll teach them defense, but if they don't come to me with a jump shot and, and, a and an IQ of the game, you know, I'll leave those for somebody else. They may be long and quick and can guard, but, uh, you know, these guys like jump shooters. A couple quick notes as we uh, finish up here. Uh, I noticed that high point is going to play at Kentucky in December, and, uh, that will be the first time. That Tubby Smith will have coached at Rupp Arena since he left the Kentucky program back in uh, 2007. And, of course, uh, he was there for 10 seasons from 97 to 07, won the national championship in his first season in 1998, and is part of the uh, Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame. So I, I think that's a neat thing, and, and I'm sure the fans will give him the uh, salute and, and the uh, warm welcome that he deserves because 
I, I always thought he did a better job there than maybe he got credit for, but uh, that, that'll be neat for Tubby Smith to return there with High Point, which, by the way, is his alma mater uh, going way back to his uh, college days. So uh, that's going to happen right. uh, at the end of December. You know, I always thought T- Tubby's a good guy um, uh, if you get to know him. And, and I always thought, he, like you, that he did a better job than maybe he got credit for. He won a national title, and, and then people say, well, they did it with Patino's players. And, you know, that's true. And that that was kind of the knock on him. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, they got the level of players, obviously, that Coach Cal has been able to get. And some coaches don't like to recruit and, and also have to put up with a player's entourage or AAU coach or well-intentioned uncle or whatever. Uh, and even after the, the deal is done, some of these people are still in the player's ears. And I don't think Tubby likes that stuff. Uh, you know, he found that out when he was at Memphis. Uh, you have to recruit Memphis players, but when you do, their entourages are nearby, and that's a an issue. And it's not an issue for Penny because Penny's from there, and, you know, everybody bows down to Penny. He's Mr. Memphis, but uh, I don't think – I don't think Tubby was – I think Tubby's a lot more comfortable at a place like High Point where you, you just deal with kids and and you don't have to deal with anybody else that, that may or may not be involved in their recruiting. Chris, as we finish up our show this week, uh, Saturday will mark the 20th anniversary of uh, the September 11th attacks back in 2001. And I just wanted to make note of that and, and certainly uh, – kind of uh, make sure everybody knows that uh, with our broadcast that we do a couple times a month that our, our thoughts with everybody uh, family and friends I know everybody probably knows somebody that was affected by that in some way and uh, just want to pass along our thoughts on that anniversary on Saturday absolutely uh, I didn't know anybody uh, personally but uh, uh, I've talked to coach Patino about this in the past his brother-in-law uh, past uh-huh. in, in there, Billy yep. Minardi. And yep. when Coach Patino was at Louisville, they actually had a Billy Minardi classic in his honor. But but yeah, I to this day I, I still can't believe that happened. It must have felt like when when Pearl Harbor got bombed uh, back in the, that day. And and unlike Pearl Harbor, where I guess a lot of our news came late uh, and and via radio, this was on constantly on CNN and, and the cable networks. And I remember when it actually happened, uh, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I think my my wife called me and said, oh, they, they've just bombed the Trade Center. So I turned it on and I'll never forget that as long as I live and, and nor should I, nor should anybody. And uh, I've just always thought that that shouldn't happen in our country and, and, I don't know if we were asleep at the switch or, or, or whatever, but uh, I just, uh, you know, my heart goes out to all the people that were lost. And my favorite story, it was tragic, but uh, those people on that flight that crashed in Pennsylvania, who knows where that was headed, whether it was the White House, uh, Congress, uh, I don't know, but uh, they had the courage to, to take that plane down and knowing full well that yeah. if they did, they weren't going to survive. They weren't anyway, probably, but 
boy, I'd like to think if I was in that situation, I might've had that kind of courage. Sure. Uh, un- unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I always remember where I was too. I, I was actually on the air. I was doing a, doing my sports updates on, on WTN and WSM that morning when all that happened, we were on the air. And, uh, when the first one hit, you know, you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then when the second one hit, it was very clear what was happening. And then, you know, everything kind of went from there. The one sort of personal tie-in I had to the whole thing was my, my dad. Um, he, he worked at Fort Campbell at the time. And when, when the attacks happened, it, it was determined that, every plane in the country that was in the air was going to be landed somewhere. Somehow there, everybody's, everybody's going to the ground. So my dad went into work that day and, and they, they all worked together. He and the guys he worked with and, and like, they were on headset with like the national defense, you know, folks like the, the, the big time people. And, and they made all that happen. And, uh, he, he was really he was very proud of, of the work they did that day. And uh, we were really proud of him. And, uh, I, I just always thought that was really cool to hear him talk about that whole experience. And, uh, it'll be interesting as years go by to kind of talk about that with my own son and, and, and explain to him, you know, what, what all went down that day and just how it, how it really changed life in a lot of ways. I mean, when you, you travel anywhere and you're, you're going on an airplane, the security measures that are in place and, and have been for a long time. And I remember the first time I flew after that, uh, when I got to the airport and there were, you know, soldiers with, with rifles and the, the full gear there, They're like that, that was very much an eye opener, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to make note of that for just a moment because Saturday will be the uh, 20th anniversary of nine 11. And, uh, just wanted to talk about that for a moment here on our podcast as we finish up for this week, Chris, always great. always enjoy the time. Uh, always very thoughtful analysis and we have a lot of fun on our show and we have great guests and, and you make it all happen and really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll do it again next time. I'm looking forward to it already, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.